session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer. The Life You Can Save, How to Do Your Part to End World Poverty by Peter Singer. And I came across this book as I was reflecting on animal rights, animal cruelty, and my own journey or experience of what I wanted to do in regards to what I consumed. And uh, I mentioned this on Monday's show, I think during the live Instagram live, so I don't know if it was on the air, but um, that I... I have decided to be vegan starting Sunday, or this past Sunday, going forward, and still have a lot to learn and understand and research, but I wanted to start that process because I felt like it was the right thing to do. I might talk about it some more, uh, even today, but especially going forward of my own experience. Last week, you might recall, I was a a contemplating carnivore, still uh, eating meat, but thinking about if that's the right thing to do. And so after further reflection over the next few days after that and the weekend, I came to that conclusion that I wanted to go forward as uh, or plant-based. I also have to still understand what all these different terms mean because they have more implications than sometimes we realize. But anyway, so I decided to be plant-based and, and I'm still considering and looking at the impact I'm having on the world and, of course, we have on the world and, and different creatures and the earth and all of those things that I think is very important. As I mentioned last week, usually I was trying not to think about those things, but once I was faced with it, uh, I realized I I didn't want to look away. And so I came across Peter Singer, actually, in researching authors and books and writers who talk about uh, animal cruelty and animal rights and things related to these issues. And then I saw this book, The Life You Can Save, and was really drawn to it. And I really uh, just read a few pages of the introduction but I can see that it's going to be pretty impactful. It seems like it can have that uh, potential, and I'm really excited to, to read it and share it with you on next Monday's show. Uh, I also ordered a book of his that's coming out in a few months about, I think it was called, being, it's about being vegan or eating ethically, something like that, but it's not even out yet, but I pre-ordered it because I was pretty excited to, to check it out. Um, so again, Peter Singer, The Life You Can Save, How to Do Your Part, to end world poverty. And I'll start with something related to that in a way, not necessarily focused on world poverty, but the book covers uh, something I think, uh, a concept called effective altruism. But essentially, we can think about how we're, how much we're doing to help others and how really all of us can do more, of course, me very much included. 
Uh, and of course, others can include people, but also animals as well. Uh, but we all can do more and we don't, even though sometimes what we can do might be fairly simple for us or doesn't involve much of a sacrifice, but we still don't do much. And of course, individuals can do so much or they can do a lot, but of course the governments and society at large can have a much bigger impact. But what I wanted to talk about is when we think about what we're doing and why we do it, and also when we try to figure out what our legacy will be. You'll hear this a lot in interviews with people that might be celebrities or prominent figures. They'll say, how would you like to be remembered or what do you want your legacy to be? And of course, this can be asked to really anyone. We, we, think, we ask that question. How would you like to be remembered by friends and family? And, and it can be a good way to reorient ourselves or refocus ourselves on the things that really matter. Because it's very easy to get caught up in trying to get attention and approval and money and fame and some of these things that are these external reinforcers that I am good. But usually when people think about what they want to be remembered for or the impact they want to have, it's generally more about being kind to others, loving to others, especially to family members, to close friends, expressing that love, that gratitude in different ways, not holding it in, wishing they spent more time with people they care about. So it can be good for us to think about that. How would you like to be remembered? But it was making me reflect on this. I talked to my brother Parham last night. We had a conversation that spanned a lot of different topics. But this issue all also came up of how we want to be remembered or have a legacy in which people remember us for being good and where this might come from. And I think partially we can look at it as some way of wanting to perpetuate the self, me. And we all know we have that ego, if you want to call it that, or that sense of self that makes us think we are something and someone and we have a real strong vested interest to first make sure we survive, but also from an evolutionary perspective, and that evolution affects our psychology as well, of having our genes be passed on so that we keep going forward. Really, in a lot of ways, that's what we're designed to do at some basic level is to survive and more importantly, pass our genes forward. That's a big biological drive. And of course, it ties into our psychology as well. And so we have this sense of self, which in some ways is an illusion, how much we think it's so important, me, we can get so tied up in this. And yes, we have to make sure we're okay and make sure we survive. But in some ways, it could take on this literally and pun intended larger than life kind of a feeling that it's so important what happens to me and how I'm remembered or what happens in my present and future we can be fooled into thinking it's more important than it really is. Because it's funny to think about when we want to have a legacy. Usually we're not just talking about a legacy of our impact. It's a legacy of being remembered. We don't want to be forgotten. Because in that way, it seems like we're never dead. We're still alive or we're being passed on and passed down. And we can understand that impulse and desire. But of course, we won't be there to experience that. 
Now, of course, you might say if you believe in an afterlife and what that afterlife is like, and if you're watching the world, but then also in that afterlife, what would you think you still have these same feelings and emotions you have in this life or this physical body? I mean, there's so many, obviously no one really knows, but you can have your beliefs about that. But really, you're not experiencing what's happening with your legacy. Do people keep saying, so-and-so was a great man or a great woman, and we name this after them or name that after them? We can get attached to being remembered more than what we would hope we focus on is having a positive impact. If we think it's good to help other people, we should focus more on helping others rather than the recognition of it. And we all have this impulse. Of course, we'd like to hear people say, oh, we know that so-and-so did this or helped people in that way. Everyone has that feeling of, uh, you know, pride they get or that good feeling of reinforcement we get when people tell us we were good or a good person. So we can acknowledge that, but we try to be aware of what our intention is, what's driving us. And it made me think of this, in a way, thought experiment where if you ask yourself and ask people, would you rather have a positive impact on more people or be remembered or for people to think of you as someone that's helped more people? And I think for a lot of us, unfortunately, and at least in different moments, we might actually prefer the latter to be remembered as someone great for people to say so and so helped so many people and has changed lives and has made the world a better place in X, Y and Z way. And of course, that can feel good. We can understand that. But it's it's almost sad to think we would prefer that over what if you helped a lot of people and you continue to have an impact that was positive on people's lives, but people didn't know. People didn't realize that you were the one or you don't get remembered or it gets lost in history, but you're helping people currently while you're alive, but it has this impact going forward. We would hope that that would be more of our driver because morally we think it's the right thing rather than being remembered, which really has no value to even really you after you've died, but um, to society to have you remembered in some way. It doesn't have any impact, but if you can, let's say, cure a disease that continues to cure people or change some kind of policy in, in the world that makes it so that less people are struggling in some way, and that goes forward, we would hope that would be our driving force. So it's something we want to look at in our own lives. What am I doing? What impact am I having? I understand, and I can understand all of us should recognize, it feels good to get that reinforcement to be told you're doing good to be recognized for being a good person. We can get that. But always look at your intention. What's driving you? What's really making you do what you do and what you don't do? What makes you help others in the way that you do or not help them? We all know that if people are watching us, of course, we're going to act kinder to people. If I tell you there's a video camera following you around right now and it's being broadcast around the world, well, you're going to be on your quote unquote best behavior if that's happening. We get that. We're human beings who um, will care about those things. And also taking a step back, you know, it's easy to say don't care what other people think. And I'm not trying to say that because as human beings, we know we do care and we definitely should care at some level. And caring about what people think comes from this um, survival space that we need others to survive. We are social beings. If you were living in an, your ancestral environment and were kicked out of your group, it could literally mean you would die. 
So social rejection and being ostracized is equivalent to death. So of course, we're going to be sensitive to that or have that in our psychological wiring, so to speak, to care about being rejected and also care a lot about being accepted and praised and, and acknowledged for good things. So again, we, we can understand these drives and these emotions, but we also are not a slave to these emotions and drives. We can, um, you know, be people will so I say, oh, from an evolutionary perspective, this is why maybe we cheat or are unfaithful. So maybe it's in our wiring and somehow making it seem that if it's wired that we might benefit from infidelity for some evolutionary reasons, then we're doomed to do it. We have no control over it, which is definitely not the case. We are wired for lots of things or we're definitely living in an environment that is different than the environment that our brains evolved in. And so there will be these mismatches, but it doesn't mean we're doomed to, to do those things that we think we might have an inclination towards or there's some explanation for why we might do it. No, you can choose not to be unfaithful, just like you can choose not to eat sugary foods and fat food, fatty foods, even though for our ancestors, those were rare to find. So if they found them, they would have a lot of them. But it doesn't mean we have to have them in those same quantities that they would if they had access to it. We can be aware of our inclinations and some things that maybe even drive us in some ways, but don't have to give in to them. And so similarly, we can understand our desire to be accepted in certain ways and be remembered and um, be looked at in a certain way and be preoccupied with what people think of us more than what our actions actually are and what we're doing. We can really take a closer look at what we're doing in our life and not doing and come to terms with the fact that this is a feeling that it feels good to get that reinforcement, but I don't want that to be my driving force. I would rather be someone who helps people and it might not be seen more than someone who gets remembered for it or focus on that. And we're all victims to this right now, even on social media, this even becomes an issue. And I even struggle with it myself. Or I've seen people trying to find this balance. If you're doing something good to help others, do you broadcast it to the world? On one hand, it, you know, you know, it's going to make you look good and that could be the driving force. But on the other hand, sometimes it could be coming from a good place that you want people one. Um, we know that human beings were very contagious when it comes to behavior. So if you see people doing bad things, it can make it more likely to do bad things. If you see people being kind, that can also be contagious. So there could be that positive impact of posting these things where people are doing good things and, and posting it about yourself so that other people say, oh, look, so-and-so is doing it. Maybe that encourages me to act better too. Just like if people post videos of themselves exercising, it might make it more likely that others will exercise because they get motivated and inspired and, and also see that others are doing it and encourages them to get involved. So it has that aspect. And then the second positive aspect of posting things like that is that oftentimes it brings awareness to certain issues. Someone goes uh, to feed the homeless and it reminds people and makes us very aware of the homeless situation that we, for example, have in the United States and that people are living in these kinds of conditions and may, you might want to yourself get involved because of that. So it makes it so we don't avoid those issues or it makes it that we can't ignore or neglect them if we're face to face with them. So like many things, it's not that it's good or bad to post something about doing something altruistic, but we always want to be aware of our intentions of what is it that's making me do this? Why am I posting this? What am I trying to get or accomplish or give in this process? And usually it's not very black and white. 
there's usually a lot more gray area, but we always have to check in with ourselves. But it's a reminder that this sense of self that we have is very powerful. It can feel so real that you can be in pain, which is always a value to be attended to, but you might think it's equal to someone who's suffering in a much bigger way because you're feeling your own pain viscerally and emotionally. You might try to have empathy or sympathy for someone else, but it will never feel as strong. And so we can be, we can be fooled to think that something we're going through might be more important than what someone else is going through. Of course, only we can attend to ourselves, but we don't want to lose sight of people who are suffering in ways that are much greater than ours and making sure we don't neglect those people and fool ourselves in thinking my suffering might be worse because I feel it more. And we want to be aware of how when we're helping others, our impact is more important than how we are remembered, that we want to be aware of this tendency to care more about how we're remembered or what people think of us. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555 had some technical difficulties during the commercial break, had to restart the computer, and I think I'm back on. I hope I am, and I think we have a line. Uh, so let's go to that. Uh, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Thank you for speaking with me. Sure. I really appreciate it. Um, I have a question about my... My son. I have a. I have two kids. I have a son that's two and a daughter that's like one and a half. So my son's two and a half. My daughter's one and a half. And um, my husband and I. I don't know if this is even related, but we had both of our kids during our residency training, and I know it was a hard time um, for both of them. They were raised by the nanny, and we would be gone a lot for long hours. But mm-hmm. I've noticed he has a lot of anxiety. I think it's a little more than the average two-year-old tantrums. I know the terrible twos. His is more, I would say, anxious episodes where I think it's also related to any time you switch, you're transitioning from one thing to, to the next, like in the morning. If you're transitioning from sleep to getting ready or at night, you're transitioning from being downstairs to going upstairs. I, I see that he gets anxious and, like, I'm not – and these anxiety episodes, like, manifest themselves in different ways. Sometimes he self-soothes by, you know, bite, biting his nails. Sometimes hmm. he wants to eat a lot. Sometimes um, he'll have, like, a huge, terrible tantrum and can't be soothed easily. Sometimes he's hitting us. I'm not sure exactly how to navigate it, especially mm-hmm. since he's two, you know. You can't really talk to him much. You can't. So I was yeah. hoping you could shed some light on how much damage I might have done. <laughs> it's funny. A lot of parents start that way. They say, have I damaged my kids? And um, I think actually last week someone said almost the same kind of phrase. And, and you know, we all get damaged in childhood. It's part of what we experience. No one comes out of childhood unscathed. But we want to mm-hmm. look at what's going on and understand it better. And the reason why I also start with that is that as a parent, we want to be aware of the guilt we carry because that 
if we're dealing with it and not able to really deal with it will affect how we treat our child. Because if you, let's say, feel guilty that, oh, I've done this to my kid, then when your child acts out in that way because it's a reminder of your quote-unquote wrongdoing, you'll almost want to stop the child from expressing that feeling or might put that pressure to not feel that way because it makes you feel bad. So it, it makes sense that you have feelings about what your child is going through and what potentially you and your husband have put your children through or what they've experienced, but it's something to be mindful of. Carrying that guilt into your interactions with the child could actually impact the pressure on them. But, you know, you mentioned, uh, first of all, your kids are very close in age. So um, your older child, the two and a half, really was still uh, a baby when the new one came. He's closer to, he's almost going to be three in like three Three. months. Okay. So he's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just a little over a year or so, I guess, uh, difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But still very, very young. And you were saying how you and your husband were in residence and busy. And, and so there's a lot of this um, not being around so much. And so there's an instability there. Children, of course, right. themselves have a, a disposition that they are born with or temperament that they have. So they can be more, a little bit more anxious or sensitive to begin with. But then what they experience, of course, will have an impact as well. And so it's tough. You're saying he's soothing in some ways that I think also concern you, like biting his nails or wanting to eat a lot. And this could be, yeah. And so obviously a lot of things are going on, but he might not have had that consistent soothing from one of you that he probably wanted or needed and so we're still going to have to help him internalize that more and we're all still learning even as adults how to be better at uh, soothing ourselves or dealing with our feelings in healthy ways or ways that are more adaptive than others so we want to help him with that and you know you're saying he's hitting and he's maybe doing things that are aggressive we want to try our best to be there with him as he goes through this and you're right verbally there's so much you'll understand but even in your voice and just try to be as calm as possible as hard as that can be i'm sure when he's tantruming like that and really show him that you are there as long as he needs you as long as he's you know going through this what's sad and understandable though is that a lot of parents when they're uh, when the kid tantrums or acts out they you know send them away and say, get away from me or send them to timeout because they think, you know, using it as a punishment. And really timeout was developed more and its intention is to be something that helps a child soothe. It's not a punishment, but it's actually, you know what, you're you're getting riled up or maybe having too big of feelings. Let's see if we can step away and calm down and then return back to whatever it is we're doing, not you're being bad, go to your room and then you're in timeout. So don't phrase it as a punishment, just put him aside and talk him through it or should we leave the room I it will depend okay. i think it's not yeah it's good to, i would say we want to see what he seems to to want and at his age two and a half probably he'll want you around now even yeah, i know it could does. be strange yeah he might and it could also feel weird you know he wants you but he's hitting you and you're kind of it's a seems paradoxical but he's just overwhelmed oh, with feelings yeah. he's hurt but he's upset he might not be even upset with you but of course he relies on you so in that moment he's mad at you and might act out but still wants you to hold him and it's just you know the feelings are too big for him to deal with and he's trying to to make his way through them and that's why having you or having you and his father with him is what we want to do is to help him show him it's going to be okay make him feel okay really make sure we don't 
make him feel abandoned in that moment when okay. he's so emotional. Because especially it, what we send the message indirectly to our kids when we do this is, when you need me the most, I'm there for you the least. What when parents send the kid away when they're so emotional, and we yeah. get it because it's an uncomfortable situation. It's hard to deal with, but we're we're giving them that message. So I would suggest being with him as much as possible. I get it that it seems like it's bringing up this anxiety in you of wait, is this too much? His tantrums is his anxiety right. too much, and it yeah. could be. You know, I'm not saying his anxiety. I know it's in in a normal range or it's okay, but more than anything, whatever wherever it's at, he needs most from you guys to give him that stability and consistency uh, you know the analogy i sometimes use is when someone is so hot we try to make them cold of course but we have to slowly get them there meaning that we have to be with them and we as a maybe calming force slowly will get him there and he'll start to realize over time that it will pass it will be better my parents are here they're not going anywhere and you might already have some feelings of anxiety separation anxiety abandonment anxiety because of what you described earlier yeah. and so it's not about the damage necessarily but it's a recognizing that we want to continue to reconnect with him as best as we can and we don't want to make him feel bad for his tantrums which can be tough it's not to say that we want to say they're good but we want to approach them more from the mindset that he's having these big feelings that he doesn't know what to do about them process, not he, not right. he's acting out yeah Right. Um, so the question is, like, for instance, he becomes really habitual easily. Like, um, you do something one time in a routine and it sticks, like drinking milk at bedtime, which isn't good for his teeth, or like, mm -hmm. you know, laying down with him and he doesn't sleep, bedtime turns into a three-hour ordeal. So when, what do you, how do you just say navigate that? Because, like, for instance, mm -hmm. last night he wanted me to lay down with him, and um, I did for like 10, 15 minutes, but then I, I had to go and get ready like for work. So, you know, I left, but he wanted me to stay. So, mm. sorry, actually, I'm at the hospital. <laughs> but do, okay. you recommend I, um, do you recommend I give in to that because of what I described in the past? Or do you think I should um, kind of just, yeah. you know, I don't know when to like put my foot down and kind of be the disciplinary person versus the emotional given and like right. give her of attention, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's, it is a, a gray area. There's no, this is when you put your foot down for sure. This is when you don't, uh, you know, as you're describing him, you know, kids in general like routine. We all like routines, but if he does have more anxiety, he could be even more get connected to those. The routines might be soothing for him. Right. So we want to come up with healthy routines that are healthy and uh, consistent so by consistent i mean you know you guys can do every night because as you're saying if your work schedule or things are happening where you can't do it we don't want them to get used to something and then we can't do it that's going to create even more anxiety so trying to find routines for him especially during transitions especially whatever brings up anxiety for him let's say if it's bedtime or going somewhere the more routines you can have it's probably going to be better as far as when do you give in it's it's tough you know we always want to be firm but flexible which sounds really right. nice but executing it is a lot harder to do because in the moment it's like oh, well is this where i'm supposed to be firm or is this where i'm supposed to be flexible you know so if your kid is really upset that you know sometimes we set a boundary we say we have to stick to that boundary but sometimes we see they're so distraught and upset that it could be hurtful if we just you know abandoned them or stayed too firm and so i can't really give you that um exact answer but i would again go back to that feeling of guilt that comes up 
where, like you said, because of what we've done, I want to now maybe give him more or extra. And of course, you want to give him more love. But sometimes we have to be aware that love might involve setting some structure or boundaries as well. And trying to find that balance is important. So I hope you and your husband can come up with the routines and ways of being there for him, seeing that maybe you have a child that's more anxious, it's the consistency will be even more important for him, especially because mm-hmm. he maybe didn't get that consistency as and as much as he needed as you know, ages zero to one. And then after that, the, the, the sister arrived and that changed the dynamics. Too. I, know, um, I, know, I know. So, okay. yeah, right. yeah, so he's good at, you know, he likes to, he's attract, everyone likes routine. He might be more attracted to them because of the anxiety that he wants to know what to expect. You know, even when kids play things like peekaboo or hide and go seek, adults sometimes get baffled. You know, when a kid plays hide and go seek, sometimes they tell you where to hide. And you're, for us, it's like, well, doesn't that ruin the game? Isn't the whole point of the game to hide and someone has to find you? But a lot of things <laughs> like the games like hide and go seek, it's actually about hellos and goodbyes and surprises and having control over that, that you're going to go uh, there. And when I want to come see you, I get to come find you and see you when I want to. It gives them that power because we can imagine as a child, it's it's scary and unpredictable. Like mom is here, then mom's gone. And they don't know about schedules and days and routines of days in the week that we have. And so it obviously impacts um, them exactly. in a way that we can't understand. So, uh, you know, I, I can hear that you're also at the hospital and it's uh, yeah, I sorry. take more of your, no, that's okay. We don't have to take too much more time, but you know, it's, it's challenging. I just, I would just say, be mindful of, we're going to have to continue internalizing in your son, this sense of peace and soothing that will take some time. But more than anything, it will require you guys to give him that warmth and show him you're available so he can create a more secure attachment to to you and your husband that if I need a stable base, I have it. And over time, that'll allow him to get more comfortable to explore and finding that balance of, of course, encouraging him to explore, but making sure he knows he has that base always there to come back to. And it's going to take right. time because it wasn't probably established as strongly as it needed to be. But yeah, we don't want to focus just on the I mean, past, but focus on what we can do now. Can I just ask you one quick question sure. about the habit stuff, like the nail biting and the drinking milk all night? Like, what do you do with that? Do you put your foot down or do you say, um, you know, like the nail yeah. biting, I have no idea what to do. I guess it's normal for some two and a half year olds. But the drinking milk all night, I think it's more of a soothing thing. Do we give into it or do we not? I mean, well, you know, know. The, the, the milk thing, I mean, the health and the, you know, first, I guess, teeth and I don't know what else, it's probably not a good idea. But he is giving us, you know, all these messages that it's hard for me to stay calm. Um, biting right. nails, yes, yeah, some kids do it. And I don't know, of course, the degree to what he's doing, but that gives us that sense. And we don't want to make him feel bad about biting his nails. We want to see how we can support him. He's biting his nails because he's stressed out and he's trying to soothe himself, which might point to the fact that he didn't get the soothing he needed as much before. And so we're going to have to yeah. try to help him with that. Okay, maybe if we hold him and, you know, kind of massage or pet his back or see what uh-huh, we can uh-huh. do to get him away from it, not to say biting your nails is bad or you're bad for biting your nails, but we do want to help him to see that there's other ways that we can try to stay calm, you know, relax with him. The, the drinking the milk all night, yeah, you, you know, and even the putting your foot down, I get the terminology, but of course we're always approaching it from a place of love. Even if we take the milk away, it's not because we're putting our foot down because you can't do this. It's we, we know that this is actually going to hurt you, even though I understand it feels good to you now. So we're going to see how we can work with that to, to give you the best love we can 
what is the most loving way. So it's not that you're trying to deprive him or take away love. In that moment, it could okay. feel that way to him, even if you decide to do that. But just that mindset right. is everything is coming from a, a place of love. We're not trying to hurt him in any way. We do recognize at times we might not give him what he wants in that exact moment because we can see it's not as good for him in a bigger picture way. And then we find a way to do that in a loving way as well. Um, but always we're coming from this place of what's the most loving thing to help him both now, but also as he's a growing boy to, to give him the best, uh, you know, experience and environment he can have. So I just mm -hmm. think we we're clearly we have, and the, the thing is, as much as I'm saying, try to get him to internalize this, give him this feeling, more than likely he'll be an anxious kid and then an anxious teenager and an anxious adult. I'm not saying for sure, and I don't want to label him, oh, but God. he might be more prone. <laughs> okay, maybe I should have said it that way. What I mean is that he <laughs> might have he might have some anxiety that that could be something right. he deals with. And so I don't want you to think we're going to just get it out of him and, and it's going to go away. It could maybe once he gets more uh, secure with you guys and feels more calm, it will become much less and, and become a non-issue. I'm not saying it has to be, but my point is that the way you're describing him, it seems to be some of his temperament. Doesn't mean it can't mm -hmm. become less, but it, it seems like there's something there. So I also say that so we don't get too alarmed if he shows some signs of anxiety or sensitivity as he gets older, that can be okay too. We want to help him, um, mm -hmm. but we want to make sure in helping him, we're not trying to make him feel like this part of you is bad or this part of you we have to get rid of. We want to right. help him so he feels better and feels good. Um, but I was just throwing that out there so you're aware that it's possible. And I don't want you to think it, part of it could be his temperament. So when we go forward, I don't want you to think, oh, see, my kid is kind of anxious. That's our fault that we did this when he was a baby or something, you know? I don't want mm -hmm. that guilt mm -hmm. to be there constantly because, again, that's going to put pressure on you and then pressure on him to not be maybe the way he is and we don't want to give him that I feeling think. no i get it thank you so much for sure all nice talking really my it. pleasure great talking to you take care thank you you too bye-bye bye-bye all right let's go to another commercial break studio number 310-441-0555 we'll be right back Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. So the previous caller uh, had some really good questions about their, their child and what they were going through and wanted to follow up or continue on that because parenting is, as I always say, the hardest job we can have as human beings as far as the responsibility, the impact. And also all the unknowns and things that are happening that make it so challenging. And, and as I talked to her, I was saying, oh, being firm but flexible sounds really good and i think it is the appropriate mindset to have or approach that for example when you create boundaries you're firm you want to be consistent but of course there's some level of flexibility you want to have too if you know your child has a bedtime of 8 p.m but then and they're waiting to see grandma and grandma gets stuck in traffic and shows up at 7:55 to say well you have to see grandma for five minutes and fall asleep is probably being a little bit, first of all, unrealistic, but also uh, unreasonable and pretty mean to your child as well. So um, we want to be aware of being flexible, yet being firm. And what that means is hard. And there's no limit to say this is exactly when you know it's time to uh, put your foot down, as the caller had said, or this is where you need to give in. And that's what makes it challenging as a parent to not know when am I supposed to do this or that? It would feel really good if there was some clear recipe or rule book that told you exactly what to do at each moment. 
but there isn't. And on top of that, as a parent, you're dealing with stressful in the moment situations. I'm sitting here and it's very easy to say, oh, do this and this sounds like the right approach or you could have said that or you could have done that. After the fact and also out of the situation, it's very easy to give advice or to say things that might sound as better or could have been done that were not done. But when you're in the moment, you're stressed, especially as parents, very often the parents of younger children, especially you're sleep deprived and tired and going through all sorts of things and your own life stressors, marital stuff that's there, so many things that are going on. It can make it a lot harder to expect for us to just keep our cool in all those moments or to be able to think everything through so completely. And then on top of that, these fears of what if I damage my child or hurt my child or scar my child or ruin their life or, you know, even more extreme and catastrophic ways that people might start to feel about the impact they can have. And so this creates even more pressure on us in that environment, which can make it really difficult. But one aspect I wanted to touch on in this segment with that follow-up was that feeling of guilt that can come from that and that parents can have about what they've done to their kids or how they've hurt them. And as I was saying to, to the mother that was calling, being aware and mindful of our own feelings. Because as a parent, we have to be so conscious of the fact and so mindful of the fact that if we don't deal with our feelings, and also in general, if we don't deal with our issues, consciously or unconsciously, we're going to pass those on to our kids. That's just how it's going to be. So you can think, oh, no, I don't let it affect my kid or I totally keep it separate. A lot of times parents will tell me, oh, yeah, we fight, but it doesn't affect the kids at all. Or we're not close at all anymore, but it, we never let it affect the kids. And the kids are like sponges picking up the emotional environment of your home. So they're feeling all those things. They feel conflict and they feel lack of love. You can't just hide it from them because you think they didn't hear it or they don't see it or you pretend in some way. So we want to be aware of that. But so going back to just your own feelings, for example, of guilt that can come up. And what I was saying with that mother, which is so hard to do but important to do, is that if you're not aware of the guilt you're carrying for something you've done towards your child or didn't do in some way, you're going to then... Put that burden onto your child, as I in some ways explained, but I'll get into in more details. So let's say you think because I worked uh, so many nights, my child gets anxious around bedtime and, and tantrums or gets really upset or scared and has this fear of going to sleep because then when they wake up, I'm gone or whatever it might be. So that they're having that hard time with bedtime. So now as a parent, you've been able to change your schedule and you're staying home at bedtime. And so you go to your child and when it's time for bedtime and they start showing these protest behaviors or acting up or whatever it might be, it triggers this feeling of guilt in you that, oh, look, my child is acting in this way because of what I did to him or her. I am creating and I've created this. And if we go forward in the catastrophic ways, I've ruined their life. I've made them anxious. What if they never sleep well? What if they never love me? What if they never can love someone? You know, all these things might pop into your head. And so because you feel that guilt about what they're doing, it makes you put this pressure of making them stop. And so you might even get mad at them. Sometimes parents respond in this way. You see the child doing something. It makes you feel guilty because it makes you face or feel like uh, bringing you back to the scene of your crime, so to speak, of, oh, this is what I did. 
and you almost get mad at your child. Well, why are you acting like this? You don't have to. Just go to sleep. You could go to sleep. And we might even blame the child. Oh, he's just acting up now. Or he's manipulating me into thinking something or to try to get his way or whatever it might be. And now we blame the child for what they're going through because it's triggering these feelings and guilt in us. Every misbehavior on their part for us is like another count against us in the court of law saying that you've done something wrong you were a bad mom or a bad dad and so we try to deny or avoid that feeling so strongly that we can almost force the child to not feel that way you're making me feel guilty that's how we can make the child feel unconsciously usually maybe even consciously but probably you're unaware that you're doing that but you'll make the child stop or try to get them to stop feeling or acting the way they can rather than just responding to your child in that moment with what is going on with the potential understanding of my child might have more anxiety during bedtime because of what they've experienced but because we get focused on the guilt or we can't get past that guilt we can then pass that on to our child and so as a parent you have to deal with those feelings on your own you have to be vigilant of how am I trying to make my child or in some way allowing my child to take care of me emotionally because this very often happens one of the best books uh, for me that illustrated this was the drama of the gifted child by Alice Miller where she explains how the gifted child is a sensitive child who is aware of their parents emotional needs and because of how they in some ways put that onto the child or the child picks up on what the parent wants they start doing things to try to take care of the child the parents emotional needs so the parent is uh, sad or can't handle when the child gets sad and so the child learns to hide their sadness because it doesn't make mommy or daddy feel good and the parents might not be aware of it they just think oh look our happy kid or our kid doesn't cry that much or something but the child might be learning how to take care of mommy and daddy because they don't want to make them sad because for the child that feels very bad to make your parents sad makes them feel like you're disappointed in you you're dependent on them so if they're not okay it can make you feel very not okay and scared so you'd rather hide your feelings than uh, react in a way that makes them feel bad and of course this is all happening on an unconscious level the kids are not reflecting and having a you know, a powwow session with themselves where they work through all of this and come to a conclusion, you know what, let's put our sadness away. But really unconsciously, you can imagine they express a sadness, get a reaction from mom. It can almost make them anxious about expressing that feeling again. So they put it away. They see that it doesn't feel safe to express this feeling. It doesn't feel good. So I'd rather not express it. And then when we take this a step further, the child might put these feelings away because it doesn't make mommy or daddy feel good. But because they have those feelings and they know mom and dad don't like those feelings, it gives them the sense that I'm not good because I have these feelings. There are these parts of myself that mom and dad don't like, that make them not like me, that don't make them feel good, that make them look at me a different way. And so I have these parts that are not good. So even they might hide those parts from people and hide them from their parents, but because they know they have them, they internalize the sense that I'm bad, I'm not good, and I'm unlovable. And especially these parts of me are unlovable. So they can learn to put those feelings away as they go forward. No one's going to love these parts of me, and I have these parts that no one is going to love. 
So that means deep down, I'm not good. So they might be afraid to get close or in their relationships, they'll hide these parts, but always know that if the person really knew, they wouldn't love them. And so we can see that just because the parents are giving the child this sense that some of their feelings are not okay because the parents can't handle it, the child ends up taking on all this burden going forward. Now, I can almost hear the irony and when I was saying, don't be so worried about damaging your kids going forward. And then I say, if you do this, then for the rest of your life, your child is suffering in this way. So I hear that um, and I can understand if it comes off like that. But I do want parents to be very aware of how much of their own emotional burden and their emotional baggage they're dumping onto their kids to carry. And if you are not conscious and mindful and aware of it, you won't be aware of what you're doing. So The Drama of the Gifted Child, I think, is a great book. Another book related to this topic would be Parenting from the Inside Out by Daniel Siegel. So it's recognizing that you have to, to be a good parent, you might think it's just about what you do. And a lot of parents think that, that, okay, what are the good behaviors, the good actions, the good techniques to use with my child? And it's very important to study these things for sure, you want to understand those things. But you also, to parent really well, you have to know yourself from the inside. Uh, what are my issues? What are things I have? What are things I went through in my childhood? Because that can very strongly affect how you treat your child, either uh, reinforcing or recapitulating what you have went through in some way, or doing the opposite because you don't want them to feel what you have gone through. Um, and so we might do do that. And also, what were you like with your parents? That can affect things. Or what were your parents like? And being aware of that. As we all know, people will often say, I never wanted to be like my mom or my dad. And then I realized I was doing exactly what they do, uh, unaware to themselves. And one day you wake up and see you're doing those same things. So we have to take a really deep inventory and in understanding our own childhood, our own experience as a child, our own experience with our mom and dad and what they were like, and then what things that has done to us and how that's affected us going forward with our kids. Our children are not here to in any way take on our emotional burden or baggage or to help us with our feelings. Having kids can give you some feelings that are probably the best in the world, these incredibly deep, loving, connected feelings that are beautiful. Of course, it's a lot of stress and, and anxiety and a lot of other feelings as well. But we want to be very aware that we're not putting any of our emotional needs on the child. Yes, it could feel good, but it's not up to them to take care of us at all. If you're doing that, even in the slightest, that's a problem. And you see it all the time in many families, of course, of any culture, but I also see it very strongly in Iranian families where the parents will make the kids feel dependent uh, or that they're dependent on their kids to make them feel good or to take care of them. Even we'll tell our kids, mommy or daddy doesn't like that or doesn't feel good or it made me sad when you do that. And we want to be aware of using that. I know it can seem like we're trying to convey something, especially to a young child, to get them to see that. But you want to be aware of how much you're making your child feel like they have to be aware of what they do because it's going to make you feel good or feel bad or make you happy or sad in some way that they're responsible for your feelings. So we want to be very, very aware of that because unconsciously or consciously, you're going to pass those things on to your kids. And the more aware you are, and the more you work on your own issues, the less likely you are to do that. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. 
welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Dr. Holakoy. Am I on the air? You are. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thank you so much for taking my call. My uh, I have a question about my 21 years old uh, grandson. And okay. he was living with his parents and then they divorced. And he lived with his father in another state. And I guess they had a lot of issue together because my son was raising him and his um, uh, daughter. And they were on teenage age and mm-hmm. while he was in medical school. And once he turned 18, my grandson left their home and he came and stayed with me. So it's almost three mm-hmm. years. Uh, when he came, he was kind of, you know, he was lost. He was Let me ask you... Can I ask you first, what, what made him come stay with you? Was it because his father was in because, med school? Or? Because when, when my son got married at age 19, and mm-hmm. his wife got pregnant, actually his girlfriend got pregnant, and then he was in, going to one of the best schools in California. So we encouraged him to move with us to finish his school. So my son and my daughter-in-law, they move with us and we support them financially until they have their first kid. So my son mm-hmm. finished school, he went to medical school, and then for his residency, he went to another state. Once he went to another state, he realized that his wife is cheating on him, okay. and they divorced. And they never told the kids the reason of divorce, and, you know, they still don't know, actually. So mm-hmm. he raised the kid, basically, by himself in another state. And uh, when he turned 18, he was... You know, he decided he cannot tolerate his dad. He wasn't getting along with him. My son was very restricted, very... Um, when I hear you, you know, when you were talking about the parents being mean, he was mean to him, really. He was young. He was 19, and, you know, he didn't know how to be parent anyway. Right now, they have a good relationship, basically. I mean, we talk to my son, and, you know, we help my grandson. Now my grandson, when he came here, we sent him to therapy. He started going to therapy for about a year. And then they said that he's bipolar. So he mm. went and he saw the psychiatrist, and then they gave him medication. So he's under medication, he's bipolar. He's taking medication, but sometimes he forgets. He still have to remind him at night. Would you please don't forget to take your meds? You know, if we forget, sometimes he forgets, sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't, he went to college, he's extremely smart. I mean, he had a, when he was in the middle school, they tested him, he had a high IQ. But it started going down, you know, with his grade and everything. He had no motivation. He still doesn't have any motivation. So he's taking his medication and he doesn't work. His dad paid him, you know, small allowance. He never asked God for the money. He's not in drink or doing oh, drugs. By the way, so let me stop you there. We're, we're, the sound is coming in. I don't know if you're on speaker because it's coming in with some feedback. Yeah, maybe I'm talking. Is it better now? It seems like it's a little bit better. Let's see how it is going forward. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So I know he's not on drugs. He doesn't use drugs at all. He doesn't drink. He's very honest very compassion. I mean, he has a lot of good quality. 
and we encouraged him to, you know, go to college. He went, he took classes. He couldn't handle it. He was in more in philosophy <clears throat> and history, and he couldn't handle it, the stress of the school. So he dropped out. And then he started, you know, working part-time. I have another son living in, you know, in our area, in San Diego. So anytime he needs help, he calls him. He goes there, he helps him, he gets paid. And he, we, all, we also send him to those cognitive behavior therapy for the youth, which is about six weeks or eight weeks program. He went to every single class now, did he want? Did he want to go to therapy? When you say we sent yeah, him, yeah, 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 he likes to go to therapy. Yeah. Okay. And the other group that we sent him, it was a youth group, cognitive behavior group, which was a group therapy. They teach him how to use, you know, they give him tools, how to yeah. move forward. And he already finished that class for six weeks, and he still he doesn't go to therapy anymore after two years. I mean, the therapist said you don't need to come. You know, you're good, good to go, but I don't know how he said he's good to go. He's still, you know, he doesn't have any more anxiety. He doesn't uh, get, you know, that much stressed up. He's much calmer, relaxer. I think the medication he's taking is helping him. Mm-hmm. But we stuck. We don't know what to do. I was talking are, Where are you stuck? The, I'm, I'm, still, I'm trying to understand what the problem is. The problem is that He's not moving forward. I mean, working on and off with my other son, it's not going to make his future. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what his future is going to be like. My concern in some of what you were sharing, as I said, was, you know, sending him to therapy, the way you said. No, no, no. He he said yes. Even now that he stopped, he told me the other day, he said, I feel like I want to go to therapy. I said, do you want mm-hmm. me to find it for you? He said, no, I can't find it myself. I said, okay, okay. I'll let it go. No, no, That's he likes to go. I mean, when, yeah. as soon as they started, you know, going through divorce, I, I hired the therapist there in their state, and they both went, both him and his sister. They started mm-hmm. therapy when they were age 8 and 10. So they're very familiar with this, you know, environment, yeah. going to therapy. It's not taboo for them. Now, your your situation obviously is not the standard, because usually as a grandparent, I would say you're more of a supporting role than anything, but you've, you're more involved, it seems at least partially, what the family wanted, but it's it's complicated, because I do get the sense that you might be too involved in some ways, and he hasn't had some space to to take on things on his own, and there's a lot of trauma at least relationally in his life from what you've described of yes. his parents mm-hmm. getting married so young divorce and moving and him having these um you know this bad relationship with his not bad but at least uh, you mentioned he was strict and they had a pretty rough relationship at least for a while and with his father uh so there's a lot there and that this is also what can happen when you change environments he was in the strict environment it seems like you don't have that same strict mindset so he's in a different environment and this is also why generally speaking when you are just overly strict and try to get someone to do something out of fear or because they have to it doesn't really instill in them intrinsic motivation of this is what i want to do i want to push myself forward in this way and so it could be that now when he's out of that environment he's just 
you know, doesn't know what to do because before everything by force he was doing or he was pushed even forward. Even by force he wasn't doing it. Even by force, my son, you know, yeah. force things, force everything. Yeah, and he force doesn't usually work. I mean, never work. yeah, no, no. yeah. So and and sometimes it works. Yeah, sometimes force in the short term. I mean, it can work in the short term. I generally think. It's going to lead to longer-term consequences and issues with the relationship, which is what seems to happen here. So he's, it seems like he doesn't have this inner motivation, this inner drive, and we can't really push him forward. We're hoping that it can be ignited within him, this motivation. But doing that is hard. It's not an easy thing of how do we get him uh, to, to get motivated. I'm sure you've talked to him about what he wants to do. Has he ever expressed interest in anything or career or what he wants yeah, to study? first he was in politics. He's very, I said that he was very, he's very smart and extremely. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to history, mm -hmm. he's amazing. Yeah. We, he went to, he was in political, you know, in the school, in college, he was active, and then he stopped it. And then he said he wants to take the classes online, I, uh, IT classes with Google. We didn't mm -hmm. even offer him. He came to us and said, I want to do this. They charge this much, but I can get my certificate. I can work on it. He said, fine. He started. He went forward very good, and then he stopped. Mm -hmm. And we didn't ask him, why did you stop? And now, me and my husband, and we talk to each other. My husband told him, I give you time until January to finish this IT class and then get a job. If you get a job, fine. If not, then you have to move out. Well, that, I mean, that you can you can do that. That's uh, an option. Uh, I think, you know, I know you said we didn't ask him why. I'm okay with actually asking why in a curious way, not in a judgmental way. So he, we can help understand him better. What's going on? Someone who has bipolar sometimes can be impulsive. So it's possible he's impulsive. And so when it gets challenging or he doesn't like it, he just quits or gives up. So that could be going on. But we want to understand him better. So asking him why doesn't have to be something bad. It can be in a healthy way of we generally and genuinely want to know, I should say, genuinely want to understand what's going on. So, oh, you stopped going, you know, he didn't like it or he didn't want to do it anymore. We want to understand him a little bit better. So it's not um, trying to make him feel bad, but we need yeah. to understand him better and help him. It. Yeah, I asked him, I mean, actually my husband sat down. My husband, my husband is still in a comfortable and he's a cancer. So he talked to him and he said, is there anything you can do? Do you know why stop doing it or you don't continue? He said, I don't know. I lose interest. It's not yeah. important. And the other thing we noticed that he has no friend. Mm -hmm. Because when he came here, he was 18. His friends, they were all men others. He's lonely. Yeah. And we can see that he's lonely. That's why my husband offered him, I mean, talked to him and said, why don't you... Go back to stay with your dad. His dad is, you know, financially well with the doctor. And his sister is there. They're very close. He's very close with his sister. He recommended. I said, why don't you go back there? And right now that you have a good relationship with your dad, you might be able, maybe something, you know, happen. Maybe you be encouraged and your friends are there. And this door is open. Our home is available. Anytime you're frustrated or you cannot move on or you cannot get along with your dad. You're always welcome back here. But my concern is that he did have a couple of incidents that he want to kill himself. Yeah, so you know, I would I would be less concerned about. I mean, of course, it does matter and even affects how he feels about himself. But you know, you say he's stuck and 
uh, we're worried about that uh, his career and those things that they are important and they'll affect how he feels. But it seems like he's really not doing well. Like he doesn't feel good. If you're saying he doesn't have friends, uh, he's no. feeling probably very alone. You know, he's living with his grandparents. It seems like you guys really care about him, but that's obviously not ideal either. He seems to feel isolated. He, you know, I'd be more concerned about how he's doing than we have to get him, you know, in a career or, or something like that. And that will help him eventually, but we have to make sure he's okay. Now, I'm not sure if I heard you right that um, your husband told him that if he doesn't get a job, he, he has to leave the house? Yeah, we told him you have to move either with your mom or with your dad. Uh, I mean, I I get the mindset. I would rather make it something more constructive with him. Um, you know, it could work. You're giving him an ultimatum. I'm not saying it's definitely wrong. But no, it didn't I usually... work because it's not continuing. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. Did you guys make him leave? Mm, he's thinking about moving back with his dad. Right, but my point is, this is always where, we, if we're going to make a, even if you want to oh, make some kind of yeah, boundary yeah, like that, we have to have be... No, but he has left or he hasn't. I, I got confused. Did you already give no, him this? Right. But but when is he supposed to get a job by? I'm not sure if I understood. By January. By this coming January? Yes. Okay. I, I mean, I get it. But like I said, for me, it's rather than making it this um, ultimatum, we're going to kick you out of the home. I'd rather try to understand what he's going through and what he wants to do. Now, you can say we, we for us it doesn't... It's not going to make sense for us to have you living here. We don't want to have you living here for free, that you can make that decision. But I think trying to just force him into working it might not be the best way. I get the sense he's really struggling. When you said he was suicidal, when was that? How long ago? It was about a year ago, before okay. he goes on and uh, takes the medication, before he goes on medication. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like he's he's dealing with a lot, a lot of trauma and past yeah, things. Yeah. And we, I, I wouldn't, I, I, to me, kicking him out of the home is not going to be the best. The he best didn't route. put it in that way. I mean, he didn't get that sense that we are kicking him out. He didn't get that sense from us. Okay. Know? Okay. What we said is that we're going to give you until January. There's not much we can do for you. Maybe it's better you move with your mom or your dad. If you get a job here, you want to stay, that's fine. But if you didn't get a job, there, there is other option, and you, think, you should think about it. And then he went back to his dad for a week and came back. And yesterday when I was talking to him, he said, his, his dad is mature. He said, my dad is maturing enough. You know, I have a good relationship with him. I said, maybe it's not a bad idea to move back with him. Mm -hmm. but, you know, he has house for his daughter, so she, he can stay with his sister, even with him, I mean. Sure. And, and his friends are back there, that, too. Your friends are there, maybe, because mm -hmm. I, I told him, I said, you know, you know, we love you so much, but we are your grandparents, even though I'm very young grandparents, grandma, but still, I cannot fulfill, I cannot be your friend, you need your friend. So maybe by going there, to be around your friend, around your dad, Maybe that would, put, you know, help you to move on a little bit. And anytime you want to come back, so I wasn't sure if it was a good suggestion for him. Should we let him it go? could be. I mean. I mean, I understand the um, suggestions, like you're saying, but at the end, we're going to have to let him make a decision. So it's uh, he, he should be able to live either one. He does seem stuck, so I understand your concern, but we're, we're going to have to help him get himself going. It means we have to talk to him more about 
What does he want to do? What's going on? Is it the bipolar or what he's dealing with mentally that makes it hard for him to follow through? Because whatever you want to do, you have to follow through with it or be able to keep going and going forward. And that could be hard for him. Maybe he doesn't know what he wants to do at all. Maybe he um, you know, doesn't really trust himself in making the decisions. There seems to be a lot going on. It is a challenging situation. I, I could see how you feel stuck. You know, he feels stuck, but you feel stuck too. And so don't put too much pressure on yourself that we have to get him uh, so motivated and into work quickly. Even if he gets a job, it might not make a difference. He might just quit that job in a month it if he is, doesn't it like it. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I get the mindset of wanting to get him going. So let's put an ultimatum or some push, but it might not make a difference. Like, let's say he gets a job tomorrow and then quits after a week. I mean, uh, it might not really impact in a positive way. So, and I also think his father has to be involved. I, I think it's good that you're letting him know you are, the door is always open. You are always available, but his father needs to be involved. And I don't know if his mother, is his mother involved in his life? Um, his mother is here. I mean, he, she lives in here. And he, he has a good relationship with mom, but no, the mom is not. The mom is emotionally, as you know, it's very immature. Okay. Very well, immature. so I mean, that puts uh, so you know we have to look at this young man. He kind of does have a tough. Um, tough situation he's in you know from his family background to what's going on now if he's dealing with bipolar disorder so it's tough and i'm not saying that means we don't expect anything from him we definitely do but we also want to recognize how much he's he's going through and not try to put extra pressure on him we want to encourage him but not put pressure in a negative way and it's not always clear what that's going to look like but being aware of not trying to uh, force him to do something i think will be very important i get the sense he hasn't really uh, explored what he wants to do enough or knows what he wants to do and so is he's 21 he's still young age? i mean is normal, normal is a normal is an interesting you know word to use because no, what is it what i mean is like what i mean is that everyone you know at 21 it's definitely not he's like old to figure out what he wants to do people start college at 18 and so um 21 is definitely not something you know his his life was not normal so we shouldn't expect for him just to have the typical um, path of college and you know things that most people go through he had a very difficult and different experience and he might be slightly different too if you're saying he has bipolar that's going to affect him so we want to help him but don't measure him against well he's 21 he should be here we want to help him feel better about himself he was suicidal a year ago you said a few times he's been suicidal there's some pretty major things he's dealing with that i would make the the focus more on his overall well-being than we have to just get him in work because that's uh, you know exactly what we are doing that's exactly okay. i mean that's what we that's always good. say is emotional health it's more important Great. but we don't know what else we can do to help him emotionally yeah and there might be there might be only so much you know so that's what it's realizing you're trying to support him he needs to of course even when you say emotional help if he's not wanting to get therapy or do certain things we can't force him we got to support him and and he's dealing with a lot and it's, it's challenging for for the whole family i understand but we know he's going through it the most so giving him that space is going to be important if he's dealing with bipolar we make sure he's seeing his psychiatrist support him in that and hopefully he goes to therapy um but you know it's it's, it's tough to see him i'm sure looking stuck and you feel stuck but don't put that pressure on you that we have to get him we're going to figure out a way to get him motivated starting tomorrow. It's not going to yes. be that simple. No, it's going to be I much bigger. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Now, my other yeah. question is, 
Let me, you know, we're at a, we're at a, so we're at a commercial break and we're actually a little bit past. So let me answer that question after the break. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still yeah. there? Yeah, yeah. I just have one question regarding his medication. Should I remind him or no? Just leave it alone. Um, I think it's something to, you know, again, it, it's about having a conversation with him about that. With bipolar... Actually, in general, medication compliance we know can be an issue. With bipolar disorder, it's one of the higher ones where people don't want to take their medication. Sometimes they like the feeling they can get when they're manic or a little bit manic, so they don't want to lose that. Also, there can be side effects that make them not want to take their medication, which we can understand. So as with almost anything, it's more about having a conversation with him about that, about both sides. What What is it, the medication like for him as far as benefits and side effects? And also, how can you, if he wants you in any way, support him in his medication I asked him compliance? and I said, do you mind if I remind you? He said, no, that's fine. Well, mind, see, but even mind is a little bit different. I would, I would say, what would you, how would you like for me to support you in this? Mind means I want to do this. Are you okay with that? So you're asking for permission to do the thing you want which is very different from asking him, what does he want? Oh, okay. I got it. Does that, and I would keep that in mind. It's, it's subtle because it's nice. You're not saying I'm going to do this, forcing him, but it, it might, um, come up in other ways too. It's very common. You know, we think it sounds very much like I'm asking people will say, uh, I asked my kid if they mind, if I don't come tomorrow to blah, blah, blah. And the kid might feel a pressure that you don't want to come now. So they say, no, that, or they say it's okay, but maybe it's not what they actually want. So we say, no, they're okay with it. I, I ask them. So we always want to be aware of making it, this is his thing. So someone, you know, even we support each other. Someone says, I want to start working out. It's like, great. How can I support you is different than I'm going to call you and make sure you're doing it. Is that okay? Uh, it, it's subtle, but it's still different. So I'd be aware of how you support him and making sure, especially because of you're saying you feel he doesn't really take initiative or uh, have that motivation, we more and more want to give him um, the authority about things in his life. So he takes on that responsibility. It's not that grandma is going to take care of it. How do you think is the best way for you to take care of it? And grandma might be a support, but he's going to be the one making that decision. Okay, I got it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you well, so good much. luck. Yeah, no, it's a Thank tough, you. it's a tough situation you're in. I, I wish you the best, and especially wish the best for him too. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I think we have another line on the air. If we do, let's bring on the next caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Farid. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for your great program. My question is related to obtaining higher education in new generation. Mm -hmm. I'm a parent, and... Uh, to give you a small background, since I'm coming from early childhood education field, and I worked in this field for 30 years, but currently I'm going for my second master's degree in uh, master's of social work. So Great. I was kind of aware that I don't force my kids in getting higher grades or uh, opposite of you know, Persian parents. I <laughs> never told them you have to be physician or lawyer and actually I want the opposite for my personal reason so what well, why, why? let me stop you there for a second when you say you want the opposite for personal reasons what do you mean uh, 
honestly, since I've been employee for 30 years and my job was in higher position, I've been under a lot of stress. So I was not able to enjoy my like and enjoy the nature, enjoy my surrounding, enjoy my family. You know, I only work like machine. And I was thinking a lawyer or a physician, since my best friend is a physician, uh, I didn't want my, I didn't, not that if they want, they could go. But even I told them that I don't want, really, I don't want you to be lawyer or physician because I want you to enjoy your life. That's what I told them as okay. a joke. So <laughs> well, you know, but obviously the joke had a meaning, and, and I'm not saying it was uh, the wrong thing to do, but it's interesting. You know, usually we, we see something like, oh, that's not good, so let's do the opposite. So you're right to f put this external and excessive pressure on your kids to become a doctor and a lawyer, I think is definitely bad. But then to mm -hmm. discourage them from that doesn't mean that's necessarily good either to say you shouldn't okay. do this or that. But anyway, nonetheless, so that gives us a sense of where you were coming from you didn't want to do the the stereotypical now maybe did you overcorrect in some way there could have been some of that but anyway so you're saying because right. it just struck me the way you said i did, wanted the opposite is why mm -hmm. i um you know, it's like if someone said <laughs> no i understand well no in, in that yeah specifically you said it there so i was saying it's just like if someone says i don't want to force my kids to get a's so i'm actually forcing them to get f's you know uh, or pushing them to get f's it's not necessarily healthier but anyway go ahead so whatever I meant is that I um, encourage them for wherever they stand, even if they got C, mm -hmm. even if they got B, but I encourage them for next level. I never said why you didn't get A. That's what I meant, mm -hmm. you know? That's good. So I like that. all of this, uh, I have noticed recently in new generation, and including my daughters, including my nephew, and they, they got an idea that you don't have to have higher education to have higher income or to be rich and all of that i had a conversation with them at my daughter graduated from uc berkeley in mm -hmm. in economics and she got bachelor's degree last year and after that she stopped she told me never talk to me about education anymore i don't want to hear about that my school broke me to pieces and put me in trash can you know mm. i don't know why i know berkeley is hard but it is surprising for me that it's not only her and even some of her friends. They they got that idea I don't know from where that you don't need education to to have better life. So my question is one: Is this common thing in new generation? Two: Is there any hope that if gonna they are gonna change their mind and continue going to school? Well, let's see. So the second one, just because you know, you said, is there hope that they're going to change their mind? Of course, there's hope they're going to change your, their mind. But I don't want you to have the hope that you're going to change their mind, because no, then you're going to feel not. like yes. you're going to put that pressure. Or I have to somehow convince them. So I, I, there is that hope. Of course, they can change their mind. People go back to school and they they change their their goals can change or they have a new passion or they decide they know what they want to do so of course they can but because of that can i don't want you to think like it's your job to make it a, uh, right. a reality so to put that pressure on them now as far as people you know there is uh, you you'll see things online of people saying college maybe it's not worth it um you know especially in america how expensive it can be and then you're going to take on debt and you're going to take on you know student loans and that's going to affect your financial life and then uh, you know lots of jobs maybe you don't need to do this or do that so it's it, when they say do you need 
uh, higher education, of course, you can't, no one could say you need higher education. That wouldn't make sense. Of course, you'd have to define what you mean by need, but um, you mm -hmm. can do well. And there's, of course, they can look for examples where someone has no even, you know, high school diploma or has a diploma or dropped out of school and is a millionaire or a billionaire. And they can say, see, you don't need. So we don't want to focus on, do you need it? We want to understand what do you want and what do you actually need for the life you want to have? rather mm -hmm. than some need that everyone has to, it's not one path for everyone, that everyone has to go to higher education or that no one should go. It's we have to find what's your path within that. And that's why always we want to make sure that from a young age, kids are making decisions for themselves and for what they want to do so that they keep going in the direction they want to go. But if we're pushing them, then they sometimes get to a point like, wait, I was going this way because of you. I'm not going this way anymore. And they stop or they turn around or they go in a completely different direction. Sometimes just to not go in the direction they felt forced to go into. So we okay. want to be aware of that. So in the younger generation, I do see, and then also with online and social media presence of people that are talking about, I made this much money doing this, or people can get famous for doing pretty much nothing as far as um, not really some kind of skill or talent, but something that's just interesting for people that they want to watch. And I guess that is a form of entertainment. I don't want to say it's nothing, but they can get the sense that I don't have to study or even sometimes even work hard to, to become famous or successful or wealthy. And that can shift their mindset. Um, you know, we have to go to a commercial break and I want to talk to you in the last segment some more. I, I want to get a better understanding even when you said your daughter said that, you know, broke me and threw me in the trash. So it, we can start with that after the break. All right. So I'm gonna put you on hold and talk in a few minutes. All right, let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to her now caller are you still there yes i am doctor all Frank. right so we were talking about your your kids especially i think you mentioned your daughter who graduated and i was wondering you said she felt like she was you know broken and thrown into the trash something like that very much she had a bad experience it seemed like in her under undergraduate and made her not want to continue her studies did she tell you what she meant by that or why she felt that way no, she, when my husband and I were talking to her about uh, going for a master's degree, uh, she was kind of, um, she was in mad and said, you know what happened to me? My school broke me to pieces and put me in trash. That's all she said. And she said, I don't want to talk about my education anymore. And that's it. Uh, one year is passed and we never talked to her because I know okay. her. If she said she doesn't want to talk about something, she would not. <laughs> uh, <Okay. laughs> honestly, my impression is maybe she meant it was too hard for her because she was only average student, you know. She was okay. not very, uh, I don't know. Well, she went to so, Berkeley. She probably wasn't average. But let me ask, you know, but here's the thing that's surprising is that if you're saying she told you this after she graduated, so she must have been unhappy or going struggling during but she never, I guess, either never told you or you guys never really heard it? How, how did that happen that she went through her whole undergraduate seemingly saying that she was miserable and then you guys didn't find out until you asked her about graduate school? You know, she's kind of like my husband. She doesn't express herself that much. She tries to solve her own problems. Like my younger one, character is totally different. 
mm-hmm. she's in social work and psychology, those things, and going for protests with <laughs> people and uh-huh. those things. But my older one is like my husband and never expresses her um, things to us. And she's kind of, she has very limited communication with us. And so okay. we leave her alone, and whenever she wants to talk to us, she comes to us. Okay. Right now, she's and very happy. She says my uh, her own um, friend who graduated with her at Berkeley, she got a full-time job. She's going, and uh, she said that she's uh, not happy in her life, but I am happier right now. She made her own website. She's selling nature crystals and those things that is not related to her education. But, uh, you know... Um, that she wants everything to be fun. She wants everything to be make her happy. If it's not, she doesn't accept it. That's what I realize. I don't know yeah. how to explain. Well, maybe I, I get what you're saying. At least that's your understanding of it. And so people, of course, have different personalities, different communication styles, and the amount they're going to express things. So I could see your two kids being different. And it doesn't mean we should expect her to say as much as your younger child. But at the same time, we always want to be aware when we look at communication that it's a two-way street. So someone might be less forthcoming with information and wanting to share and opening up. But we always want to look at how comfortable are we making it for them to talk to us or open up with us or share things with us. And I do get the sense that you want things to be a certain way or you feel an anxiety if they're not. And so it might make it hard for her to tell you things that she thinks you won't like. Yes, you are partially right. Even I tried not to interfere, but I know I did sometimes. Yeah. Because that's my concern when you say she, you know, when she graduated, we found out she hated school. Seems like, you know, that's four years where she seems to have been unhappy or at least didn't like it. And if you guys didn't know, that's telling us something. Again, I'm not putting that all blame on, on you and, and her father. Yes. Yeah. So we want to see what's missing in the communication. It, it could mm-hmm. definitely be her style. But, you know, even when you said I didn't, I was worried they wouldn't enjoy their life. And, and it's interesting the way you're describing her. She's, you might be now concerned she's focusing too much on just enjoying life and not mm-hmm. taking it seriously enough. And so this right. is where, when I was saying before, when we sometimes go to the other extreme, it's not necessarily healthy. And I'm not saying that's how your child is, but there could be some elements of that that you were so focused on. Don't get you know bogged down by work and school. Make right. sure you're enjoying. And she maybe got too much of that message of like only enjoy and don't but we don't know if that's really how she is i don't know but that's something you brought up um Mm -hmm. so we're gonna have to obviously let her as is always the case find her path but rather than just focusing on her career and you know you said oh she's doing work that's not part of her education or what she studied i would as i always encourage parents focus on your relationship with her more than mm-hmm. her performance you know parents often feel like they're their child's academic and then career advisors and counselors and managers and that can be a part of of course your role as a parent in different ways when the child is developing but you also want to make sure you're focused on your relationship with them you know a lot of parents only talk to their kids about education and then later on work stuff like there's not much she told me that she she told me that she told uh, years ago she told me you only give advice you only talk about work and school and yeah, I know that. And even my my therapist told me the same thing that you are telling me that I have to work on my 
relationship with her and recently I'm trying that. Good. And the good thing is my two daughters since younger age they had their own therapist so they know what they are doing so I don't have concern with that but maybe the concern is myself and my anxiety and I'm afraid maybe I'm not doing my job as a parent so yeah. my children are going to stay uneducated <laughs> well, and that's okay even you say you know uneducated doesn't have to be first of all she graduated from berkeley so i doubt anyone would characterize that as uneducated but mm -hmm. um but you know what anxiety usually translates as behavior into control so when we right. have anxiety right. then we try to now we're trying to control her into getting her into school or to changing her mindset so I, I, it's good you have that awareness and you're recognizing that and i'm, I'm glad she shared that with you and mm -hmm. a lot of parents they have that feeling that I'm supposed to just get them happy and by happy it means successful and then my job is done and mm -hmm. your most important job is to have an emotional connection and relationship with her um, right. and, and focus on that and you know she even said you give advice so that's something also to be mindful of when we go back to she doesn't tell me anything well she might feel that if she opens up a conversation it's going to become one way that she's just going to listen to you and usually if it feels that way it means you're being a little bit forceful with how you're presenting it that she I has see. to agree with I you know. yeah I know. so I we want to try to be aware of that and try to it's, it'll take time to change that dynamic both because it's going to be hard for you to make that change and two mm -hmm. also because she's going to have a hard time really accepting that change or being comfortable with it but i hope you can look at that as a type of goal or an aspiration to move towards of how can i have a more open dialogue and i say dialogue because if it's dialogue both people are talking if it's one person talking that's a monologue which is maybe what you are having with okay. her where we hear what she has to say where what is what does right. she think about this and we want to be open to it not okay let me hear what she has to say about why she didn't like school but i know at the end i'm going to try to get her to see that she should go back to school because that's also uh, not an open right. conversation you know that's mm -hmm. a conversation with with a clear agenda that the person will likely pick up on and then not want to talk to us anymore so i, I would even have conversations with her about this uh, acknowledging and recognizing the ways you've communicated and eventually you can express to her of course it was coming from a place that you were you cared about her you loved her you wanted the best for her but you realized that you didn't always leave her the space to be her own person and you didn't always leave her the space in your communication to be a full person to say mom this is what i think even if it was something you don't like or mom let me explain to you what I feel about this and giving her that space that even if it wasn't what you liked for her to feel or think whatever she felt or think. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Farris. Sure. Good luck. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Nice talking to you too. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. We just have a few minutes left and so I'll kind of uh, carry on some of those thoughts in that, that discussion. Um, you know, it's, it's tough as a parent when we care so much about our kids and what happens to them. And we have some ideas of what a good life or a successful life is going to be. And one of the things I see so commonly with parents is they turn into academic managers. You know, I, I work with them in therapy and all they're reporting to me is, okay, she, she didn't do this homework or this assignment, but she's behind in this class. And I told her she has to do this. And I know she has this essay due in two weeks. And you realize there's almost nothing other than the academic life of their child they think that they're responsible for or that they should be focusing on. And I always try to encourage parents to see that that's really one aspect of, of being 
a parent, of course, you have to be aware of your child's education. But more than anything, you are their mother or their father, meaning you have a relationship with them. So we have to take a step back and see what am I doing here or what am I trying to do as a parent and what can I do to make sure I create that bond with them. And the other point that uh, came up was about communication. And people do have very different temperaments, different communication styles, different amounts that they like to be open and share in general. We all can have differences and be variable on those types of issues. But at the same time, as I said to her, we always want to be mindful of how easy am I making it, especially as a parent, because that is a, 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 a relationship that has a power differential, meaning you're in a position of power and so it can make it a lot easier or harder for your kid to communicate to you based on what you do and say and how you interact. So we want to see how easy and comfortable am I making it for my child to share their perspective even when it does not agree with what I like or what I think. That's a genuine conversation means I'm allowing the space for you to think and feel what you think and feel even if it is different from what I think and feel. That means it's open. If it's as soon as you say something I don't like, you feel that I'm trying to convince you otherwise, or I tell you you're wrong, or I go into a lecture where I'm going to explain for 10, 15 minutes why the way you think is wrong. Well, now we're not having open conversations, and we can understand that over time, the person is going to want to tell us less. If each time I tell you my opinion on something, you tell me for 10 minutes why I'm wrong and bad and this is the right way, I'm going to be less likely to share my opinions with you. And of course, if there's elements of judgment in it where you make me feel like you think I'm bad or I'm doing something bad and I, I shouldn't think this way, well, then even more, of course, it's less likely that I, that person will want to communicate with you. So we have to always check with that. You know, people will tell me, oh, my daughter, my son doesn't say anything to us. And teenagers will start telling you less. We should be ready for that. They want to... Uh, confide in their peers more. They care more about what their peers have to say. It's a pretty natural part of their development where they're going to turn more towards them. But at the same time, we want to be aware of how we are doing as far as creating the environment for them to communicate with us. Do I allow them the space to disagree? And that can be tough. Sometimes we think we know what's the best thing for someone. They need to start studying some more. So let me make sure that's where we get to. And that's another thing I mentioned to her, that we have to be mindful of the agenda we have going into a conversation, because that also means we're not having an open dialogue. If I say I want to talk to you, but at the end I want to make sure you do what I think you should do, we're really not having a conversation. We're having me pretending to have a conversation, but trying to make sure I get my way, and even if it's get my way in what you do, which I think is for your benefit, it still is going to affect the openness of that communication and dialogue where you're not going to feel that you have really a chance to share your side. So as parents, we have a lot more power in the relationship. We have to be aware of that and recognize that that means we have even more power to influence the type and style and amount of communication we have. We never can nor should we force our kids or teenagers to talk to us, but we want to be aware that we have a lot of influence over how those conversations go and how our communication style is. All right, well, that brings us to the end of today's show. As always, a big thank you to Ghazal in the studio for allowing me to do the show remotely. The book of the week for this week, again, is The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer. 
how to do your part to end world poverty. Looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you on Monday's show. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.